In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, The Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Politically Georgia podcast, where we bring you news and analysis of all the latest Georgia shenanigans in Congress and under the gold dome. Today we're doing something different. I'm taking you behind the scenes throughout the last full week of the legislative session. And it was a busy one. Hey, this is Bluestein. It's about six o'clock at the Capitol, Monday, March 25th. And it was a very busy day at the Georgia General Assembly. The biggest headline of the day by far involved one of Governor Brian Kemp's main initiative this, this session. And this is one of the things that cropped up not during the campaign trail, not during the primary, not in the general election battle against Stacey Abrams, but after he was elected. And this involves a pursuit of not one, but two separate Medicaid and ACA waivers through the federal government that would give the state uh, more more leeway to use federal funding for two different goals. The first one did come up earlier. It would be to create a new fund to stabilize private insurance premiums obtained on the Obamacare's healthcare market exchange. Governor Kemp unveiled that late in the campaign, talked about it a lot. Uh, it came as no surprise to lawmakers. The second part was more of a surprise. After he was elected and sworn into office, Governor Kemp said he supported pursuing a limited Medicaid ex- waiver that would essentially expand the program uh, for people who make less than 100% of the poverty line, which is about $12,000. Um, so this this would potentially expand, if, it, if, if his proposal goes through and is submitted by, accepted by the federal government, it would potentially expand Medicaid to 100,000, 150,000 plus people who make that, 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 you know, less than the 100% poverty line. Um, his administration wants to incorporate conservative elements into it. That could be a work requirement. That could be drug testing. That could be other things um, that would be more palatable to conservatives. Democrats voted largely against it. About six Democrats um, bucked party lines and ended up voting for the bill, but most of the caucus held together and voted against it. They say that nothing short of Medicaid expansion would work for them. They want Medicaid expansion or nothing else. And they said, if we vote no, this would kick this back to the drawing board and force a, a broader measure. Republicans said this was a first step, a significant step, but just a first step, and that this would send state officials down the path to more negotiations over this legislation. Now, what this does, and Governor Kemp is sure, is sure to sign it, he said he would sign it very quickly. What this does is it gives him broad new latitude 
to pursue these waivers through his administration, about $1 million in state funding and $1 million in federal funding will go towards studying and crafting a proposal, crafting a new waiver that they that, that the Kemp administration hopes the White House will support and will accept before next year's November election. Gave Governor Kemp broad discretion over how to pursue this. I asked him about it today. I asked him, what's next? How do you answer Democratic claims that this is an overreach, that this is an abdication of legislative duty. And he essentially said, I stake my campaign on this. I stake my, I stake my gubernatorial, uh, first year on this. He said that he's proven himself to be trustworthy and he's going to do this in a fair and honorable way. So the next, the next few years are going to be very important. Uh, and it's going to affect the healthcare coverage of hundreds of thousands of Georgians and millions and millions and millions of dollars in taxpayer money. So it was, a, it was a pretty big day at the legislature today. It is Thursday, March 28th. It's late at night, and we have finished the third to last day of the Georgia legislative session, and it was a busy one. First, let's start with what did not happen. There was not a vote, a final vote on the heartbeat bill. There was a lot of anticipation that vote would come. A lot of supporters of the bill thought the vote would come. Ed Setzler, the bill's sponsor, even told his backers, the bill that that vote would come Thursday. Um, other people high up in, in, in high places thought the vote would come Thursday. But when it comes down to it, it's up to Speaker David Ralston. He did not call the vote. So there is another day of waiting. That vote is likely to happen Friday. It doesn't have to happen Friday, but it's likely to happen on Friday because um, lawmakers might not want to wait till the very last day, which is Tuesday, which is going to be a long day in itself. We can talk about Friday in a second, but let's get to the other big action of the day, and that involves what is now being called the Franken Bill. That was coined by our AJC colleague, James Salzer. Um, this is an amalgamation of three different le- transit and transportation bills that were kind of clumped together at the last minute and a really gutsy gambit by Kevin Tanner, who is the chief transportation guru in the house, in the, in the house. He's a very powerful, um, house Republican from up in Dawsonville. He put together these, these three different disparate, uh, bills that were kind of competing with each other into one and said it's either all or nothing. This bill is a big, big deal. First of all, it weakens the Senate's attempt to give a state takeover of the Atlanta airport. Instead, it creates a legislative committee they would have still some oversight, but much weaker than, than, than the Senate wanted in its bill. Secondly, it includes a Delta tax break for airlines that would, I call it the Delta tax break, is really for all airlines, but it would primarily benefit Delta, the state's largest private employer and the chief beneficiary of, um, uh, the chief user of, of, uh, jet fuels in Georgia. Um, and thirdly, it would include a rural transit component to try to provide more mobility for people who live outside of big metro areas like Atlanta, Savannah, Columbus, and the like. That bill passed the House, mostly on a party line vote after a lot of debate. Um, and some of the uh, high profile opponents include not just Atlanta Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms, but also John Lewis, who is the, uh, the, the congressman for Atlanta and the airport. Um, one other significant piece of legislation passed, and that involves memorials. Uh, a few years ago, after the Charleston massacre in a church, there's a lot of calls for legislation that would allow cities um, to take action if they didn't want a Confederate monument in their environs. 
instead of that hap- happening, it actually there was a there was kind of a pendulum pushing the other way, and lawmakers passed legislation that would protect not just Confederate monuments but all monuments, and they did it in a really interesting way, rather than talking about the old South and Confederacy, which which came up, um, the sponsors flashed scenes of memorials all over the state being desecrated, not just Confederate memorials, but one for the family of Michelle Obama, one for Vietnam veterans, one for World War II veterans. So it was a very uh, poignant display presentation that the chief sponsor of the bill in the House, Alan Powell, put up as he was talking. Um, It was a very heated debate there, too, and pretty much along party lines. That vote also passed because Republicans have the majority in the Georgia House. And so um, if they can keep their coalition together like they did, they can pass most things. Um, Lastly, and this is probably the biggest thing, is the only thing the Georgia legislature has to do, they reached, the House and Senate reached an agreement, a final agreement on the state budget. And the biggest part of that state budget involves $3,000 pay raises for all public school teachers in Georgia. There was a little debate back and forth about whether or not to give teachers a lesser um, lesser pay raise of $2,750. Instead, they get the $3,000 pay raise that Brian Kemp insisted upon really early in his campaign. And what to watch there, Brian Kemp pledged a 5000 overall teacher pay raise. He says this is the down payment for it, and he'll be going after that $2,000 uh, remaining pay raise over the next year or two. Looking ahead to tomorrow on Friday, it's going to be a busy one. We're expecting to go deep into the night. And, of course, the most major legislation still pending. We've got that transportation bill that still has to go to the Senate. We've got the Confederate Monument Bill that has to go back to the Senate. And, of course, we've got the final vote on the heartbeat bill. That could come, and we're expecting it Friday, but who knows. Signing off, Bluestein. It is Bluestein here late Friday after yet another busy, busy day at the Georgia General Assembly. And the highlight is the vote we all knew would happen. We just weren't sure when it would happen. The heartbeatville vote turned out the speaker after sitting on the bill for about three days. Um, He had a press conference early in the morning where he lashed out at Hollywood celebrities who had who had uh, campaigned and urged uh, lawmakers to reject this vote. He said he said he's been a champion of the film industry unlike no other. And yet he doesn't want to listen to Rosie O'Donnell tell him and other Georgia lawmakers what to do. That was our big hint that this was going to happen. I asked the speaker, what's the deal? What's the timing? He said, stay tuned. We stayed tuned. And shortly after lunch, um, early in the afternoon, about 2.30ish, he called the vote. Um, he brought Ed Setzler, the bill's sponsor, to the podium. And Ed Setzler asked for a final vote on a bill that passed the House with 93 votes earlier on this month. That's two more than needed. It needs 91 to pass. Passed 93 earlier this month. Passed the Senate pretty easily on a party line vote. Came back to the House. Ed Setzler takes a few questions. The votes get tallied up and it passes with 92 votes. Just one vote to spare. Um, There's a lot of drama um, just as the vote was recorded. You could hear cries of shame, shame, shame from the gallery. This time you didn't have Democrats turn their backs on Republican speakers, but you did have them storm out of the chamber afterwards to talk to the media and talk to supporters 
Also a little bit of a standoff with some security officers that was quickly uh, kind of uh, smoothed over. Um, but very upset Democrats who promised to channel their outrage into our electoral activity. They're trying to, they're, they're promising to channel their outrage into, into, into votes, into political activity. Um, very dramatic. With the interesting thing, one of the, one of the more interesting things is in the first vote way back in early March, you had one Democrat, Mac Jackson, vote for it. He's a Sandersville pastor. You had two Republicans, Butch Parrish, and Deborah Silcox vote against it. This time, those two also voted against it, and Mac Jackson also voted for it. We had three others joined their ranks. One was State Rep Sharon Cooper. She chairs the House Health Committee that initially approved the bill. Another one was Jay Powell of Bainbridge. He's down in South Georgia, of Camilla, I should say. And the third was Chuck Martin from Alpharetta. And there's a trend here. Chuck Martin, Sharon Cooper, Deborah Silcox, all from very competitive suburban districts where they worry, you know, the Democrats hope to make their days numbered. Democrats are going to be um, heavily targeting these areas. And um, Chuck, I asked him afterwards what, why, he, why he voted the way he did. And he was, he was absent uh, during the first vote. He said he's a staunch opponent of abortion rights, and he pointed to some past votes for restrictions But he said, in his words, he was concerned that this would, quote, criminalize the practice of medicine. So that sums up the bind that that people like him him were in. Others were being furiously, and I think think this is an understatement, they were being um, furiously jockeyed from both sides. I I watched one lawmaker, um, Houston Gaines of Athens. I saw him getting buttonholed by Ed Setzler, the bill's sponsor. I saw... Um, Democrats kind of pull him aside and get in long, drawn-out conversations. I didn't hear what their conversations were, but I can only imagine, I can only assume they were over this bill. Um, he represents an Athens-based district. It was very, very narrow victory for him and much, much yeah, a, a very solid swing district. Um, nothing is easy for a lot of these a lot of these Democrats and Republicans on these fringe territories that have been Republican for so long and are now tilting more Democratic, um, we're not sure how long, you know, we're not sure what, what trends will solidify, but um, Democrats hope to start targeting these outer suburban Republicans. Republicans from, they, they won most of the close-in suburbs. There's only one Republican left inside the perimeter. That's Deborah Silcox. They're trying to target some of these uh, these these outer edge Republicans in Cobb, Gwinnett, Henry counties, Athens, those areas. This vote could be a turning point for them, or it could not. But Democrats certainly see it as a a rallying point, as a as as a as a real opportunity. That wasn't the only big move of the day. It was the one that attracted the most attention. But a second one was also. Um, another surprising move by Republicans and another one aimed at the suburbs. Um, short, uh, early in the morning, I got a call from Chuck Ofstration, a uh, Republican lawmaker from Decula, who said that he is, he sent me a letter. He said he was about to introduce a measure in a committee meeting that would essentially block Gwinnett from holding another martyr referendum until 2026. Um, this, when it came out, obviously infuriated Democrats, uh, especially from Gwinnett, who said they weren't consulted, they weren't, they weren't part of the negotiation, and they saw it as a flat-out betrayal. Now, Democrats now control the Gwinnett delegation, 
Republicans still control the overall Georgia House, of course, but Democrats gained control of the Gwinnett delegation in these past elections when they won a, a big majority. I think they have 12 or 13 of the delegation's 19 or 20 or so seats. So they have a big majority in the Gwinnett delegation. They were upset it didn't go through that process. Instead, it went through the general House process. Chuck Evstration said he was he was only trying to fulfill the will of the people. And, of course, that, that referendum passed about 10 days ago, about two weeks ago, um, by a slim margin, but, but a, you know... A, a, it wasn't close enough for a recount. It was about six or seven points. Um, and there was about uh, 90,000 or so vote turnout, higher than most special elections, but not certainly nearly as high as a general election. And that's when Democrats said the vote should be held. They said it was tantamount to voter suppression by not holding that in November. And they demanded uh, Chuck Evstration withdraw this th- these changes and back down. Um, I went to a very tense press conference. It's very interesting because it involved about a dozen of the Gwinnett Democrats, and they also invited House the House the uh, Gwinnett Republicans who sponsored these changes to it too. So what we saw was kind of a back and forth between Chuck Evstration, uh, several of the Democrats, and then several of the Republicans, and it ended with a, a terse war of words between Dewey McLean, uh, a Democrat representing a part of Gwinnett, and Timothy Barr, a Republican, representing a part of Gwinnett. Um, they were kind of inches from each other's face as they were both talking to each other. Um, and they were, they, were, they, were, they were not fighting or anything like that, but they were, it was very terse, it was very tense, and uh, passions were high. And Representative McLean said, we're coming for your seats. So that's, the, that's how this, this whirlwind week ended. And, of course, there will be a lot more action to come on Tuesday, when we have the final day of this year's Georgia legislative session. Well, that's all for this week's edition of the Politically Georgia podcast. Head to AJC.com forward slash politics to subscribe to Politically Georgia. You'll get access to our daily newsletter, along with all of our stories and updates on all things Georgia politics. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and rate us. It really means a lot to us when you do. And as always, thank you for listening. Hip-hop is a product of black people. It's a product of black song and celebration. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution presents Hip-hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip-hop store. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants a rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip-hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop. 50 years. No one can deny. One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip-hop. Our journalists at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution are working around the clock to keep you updated on all the developments surrounding the Trump indictment. Now the AJC is putting all of our coverage in one place with our new Trump 19 newsletter. Every Wednesday, you'll have our latest coverage and analysis on this historic case in your inbox. So sign up for free today at AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. That's all one word. AJC.com slash indictment newsletter.